0: Good morning, everybody. I've, uh, I've lost my glasses, so sorry if I can't see you very well. <laughs> that was a really poorly executed joke. I didn't have the confidence. <laughs> no, I think they were stolen by a puppy, though. Um, I was watching a puppy this weekend, laid my glasses down, and never saw him again. And I'm pretty sure this puppy just ran off with him. <laughs> but uh i'm really excited to to be up here and um talking again it's been a while um you know it's uh probably been about a year for me um and god's done so much during that year um i'm just really thankful for it and really excited to be able to speak about um what he's done you know as god always does he just happened to give me the scripture this week as we're preaching our way through Matthew Um, gave me the scripture that really speaks about what he's been doing in my life for the past year Um, so it's just so beautiful how God always does that and what we're going to be talking about is Jesus's uh, temptation in the wilderness Um, and we'll talk some more about that Um, but you know I've you guys might remember, um, for those of you who are here then, um, you know, I was the executive pastor here for about a year, and um, I'll always remember that um, one night at a prayer night, right before I stepped into that position, uh, somebody in this church prayed over me and had a vision from God for me, um, and, you know, I don't, I don't always believe that visions really are from God. Sometimes they are, sometimes they're not, but this one absolutely was. Um, And this person said that he saw me in a wilderness, in a desert, and I was trying to push through by my own effort and just keep going through this journey in this desert, but I was getting exhausted and weighed down because I didn't have the strength to do it myself but I came across a well of water and I was conflicted. I wanted to keep pushing and just push through, but God was saying, no, stop and rest at the well, which of course is Jesus, is our relationship with God. Stop and rest at this well and really build up your foundation of Jesus and then you'll be refreshed to continue on in the journey. And so, you know, that, that vision really predicted, you know, I, I was executive pastor for a year and then I took a rest for a year. And during that time, God really built on my relationship with him and really taught me um, just how much I depend on him for everything. Uh, that you know it's impossible to go through the wilderness on your own it's we literally don't have the strength and Jesus showed us that perfectly um, because he was perfect uh, in this scripture and so I'm excited to get to talk about that Um, but before we get started uh, let's just pray Lord, we thank you so much for um, the beautiful worship that we've had this morning, and the opportunity to learn more about you and draw closer to you. Uh, please um, speak through me exactly what you want to say. Um, let it not be any of my words or ideas, um, but just wh- whatever you want me to say. Um, you, uh, you know how nervous I am, Lord, but... Um, you're going to use it, and we praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, the main thing that we find, and, oh, there's a microphone there. (laughs) The main thing that we find in this uh, scripture uh, that we're going to be looking at is that um, Jesus leans into his identity. So, what we're going to find is that following Christ requires identity, which I very cheesily uh, capitalized the ID uh, because we are ID church. Um, and that is knowing who God is and knowing who we are. Um, and as you guys know, uh, we've been working through a series of Matthew, um, and we've been talking about how All year we're going to be talking about how Christ builds his church. Um, And so what we're going to see is that Christ builds his church by giving it an identity, again, capitalized. (laughs) Um, So let's dive into the scripture and um, see what God has for us. So in Matthew 4, starting in verse 1, I probably should have told you guys that so you could flip there. Uh, So Matthew 4, verse 1. Uh, So, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Then the tempter approached him and said, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. He answered, it is written, man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him into the holy city, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will give his angels orders concerning you and they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus told him, it is also written, do not test the Lord your God. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. And he said to him, I will give you all these things if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus told him, go away Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him and angels came and began to serve him. So if we start to dive into this scripture, we're gonna see specific ways that Satan kept attacking Jesus and specific ways that Jesus defended against those attacks. And it all revolves around Jesus's identity. Um, You know, each time Satan attacked, we're gonna see that he was really attacking Jesus's identity as the son of God and as uh, a child of God. Jesus was fully God, um, but he was also fully human. And so you have that human identity as you know, a, a child of God who is um, subservient to the Lord. Um, but of course, in, in Jesus' case, he also have that unique uh, character of also being fully God himself. Um, and the main way that he tried to attack that identity was trying to twist it, trying to make Jesus elevate himself above God. So we first start to see that in verse one. Um, So, you know, this is where uh, he'd been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, so pretty hungry. I don't know about you guys, but I can't even imagine that kind of hunger. Um, You know, that truly is not possible for a human being without any external influence. And so already that shows that God was sustaining Jesus here. Jesus was within God's will. God, it says, the Spirit led Jesus into this wilderness. And so God was providing for Jesus everything that he needed. Uh, Jesus wasn't providing for himself. He wasn't getting food for himself, water for himself. Um, the Spirit led him into this wilderness and said, You know, if I led you here, I'm going to take care of you. Because we know. As human beings if we simply didn't eat or drink for 40 days um, it's not going to be good for us but Satan comes and tries to tempt Jesus to just create his own bread and just provide for himself but like why would he do that if the spirits already providing for him this is a temptation to try to leave God's will of being in this wilderness And being provided for by God to provide for himself in this way that seems better, it seems attractive. Like, you know, uh, my wife famously says that her favorite thing to eat is slices of white bread just by themselves. (laughs) 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 Oh, okay, as a kid, not anymore. But yeah, I mean, Jesus had this option. He could either just stay in the desert with no food and be provided for by the Spirit, or he could turn rocks into Hawaiian rolls. And the devil is like, come on, you are God. You have this power. Just create some Hawaiian rolls. But, of course, Jesus resists. And in the same verse... it's a a double attack here, because not only is the devil trying to get him to provide this desirable thing for himself that's outside of God's will, but he also very subtly attacks Jesus's identity directly. Um, And he says, if you are the son of God, um, there may be a slide missing, but it's okay. So he says, uh, the tempter approached him and said, oh, there it is and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. He's not just saying, hey, aren't you hungry? Tell these stones to become bread. He's saying, um, are you really who you say you are? Prove it. You know, um, if you're the son of God, why not just provide for yourself? And so he's trying to tempt Jesus both to reject his identity as being dependent on God, uh, a child of God who depends on God, and also um, challenging him, you know, to even question, like, are you the son of God? And we're going to see that continue in the next verses. Uh, So then when the devil takes him to the pinnacle of the temple in the holy city, and he says to him, if you are the son of God, again, that phrase, throw yourself down, and it's helpful here to really understand the context of this temple. Um, you know, this wasn't just a another church steeple um, in some part of the town. Um, this was the temple, which was the center of all life in Jerusalem. It was the center of religious life, obviously, um, but also hundreds of years of of life there had also created it the center as the center of uh, financial life. Um, you know we see in the scriptures where Jesus is so disgusted by this that he goes in and flips the tables of the people selling uh, animals to be sacrificed you know they'd built an entire market there on religion, and then on top of that the Jewish society was so centered around religion that it was also the center of political life, the Sanhedrin, which is basically the the temple elders who held great political power in Jerusalem. Um, they were centered there in the temple. And then even on top of that, when the Romans had come and conquered Israel and were occupying Israel, they knew how important this temple was to the center of all life not just in jerusalem but all of the land of israel and so they actually built a fortress right on the corner within the temple grounds and they built this fortress and stocked it with roman soldiers and most likely that's where the um uh the prefect the basically governor who ruled this on behalf of Rome also stayed. So um, Pontius Pilate was most likely there in that uh, tower, right there in the temple. It was, if you can just picture these temple grounds, huge, beautiful temple surrounded by walls in all directions, and this enormous tower, almost like a castle in the corner overlooking it and then all of that just completely packed with people, Um, just this enormous crowd. That's what we're looking at here. And Jesus is standing up at the top of this. And so it wasn't like just some private moment with just Jesus being tempted. This was an opportunity really for Jesus to divinely prove that he's who he said he is. Uh, Because it's not just the devil who's questioning Jesus's identity here. Jesus has already experienced all of these people. He comes to them, and he says, you know, repent. Um, I'm the Messiah, and I've come, and they're like, "Uh, no, I don't think so, and so the devil's saying, why are you struggling like this? Just jump off the temple. Angels will be forced to come and catch you because it says so in the scripture, and then all these people in the center of this entire capital are going to see it and they'll have no choice but to say yep he is who he says he is and so it had to be an enormous temptation to just definitively in one move just prove that he was God but it wasn't the father's will and Jesus knew that and so Jesus again didn't give in but You know, I think understanding that context really helps us understand what a huge temptation it was and how much it centered around Jesus' identity, proving to the people who he was, as well as having the devil question who he was. And even within that, though, these are lies from Satan. Even if Jesus had you know, given in and and tried to jump from the temple. Um, The the whole verse that Satan quoted there uh, from Psalm 91, he left parts out and he twisted its meaning. So he had said, he will give his angels orders concerning you and they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone he left out from that very first clause in all your ways so the real verse is he will give his angels order, orders concerning you in all your ways but what he's saying is all god's ways so when you're within god's will he will give his angels concerning orders concerning you to protect you it's not saying you can just go out and do whatever you want You can go jump off a cliff and God will protect you. It's saying when you stay within God's will, within all of his ways, he will give his angels orders concerning you. But Satan tried to twist that. And it's also really interesting that he omitted the very next verse uh, in verse 13 it literally, right after that, it says, um, you will tread on the lion and the cobra, you will trample the young lion and the serpent. And of course, we know that when the Bible talks about serpents, that's a metaphor for Satan. And so, Satan conveniently left out the very next verse, which says that you will trample the serpent, that he has no chance to even attack you. But he doesn't want us to see that. He does the same thing when he attacks us. He knows the word of God. He knows our character and our identity um, often better than we do, but he hates it. And he tries to do these little tricks, just change a word here, leave out a word there, just make us see ourselves, we think, in God's image, but there's just this one thing that we're seeing slightly off. He is the father of lies, that's what the Bible says, and he's very subtle in how he does it. But Jesus knew who he was. Jesus knew his own identity. He was rock solid in it. He knew that he was God's and that the Bible said that he was to do these things. He knew that what satan was trying to twist was a lie because he knew the truth so well and so satan tries one more time in the next verse again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor and he said to him i will give you all these things if you'll fall down and worship me and so again he's He's trying to tempt Jesus with something that seems desirable, you know, Um, not as desirable as the Hawaiian rules, but still, you know, all the kingdoms of the world. And he's saying, you know, I can give you all this. All you have to do is just this one little thing of falling down and worshiping me. At the surface, this may not seem like a a issue of identity, um, but we're gonna talk more about this um, later, but our identity is to glorify God and worship God. And we'll even see that in the response that Jesus has to the devil, which we're gonna look at in a moment. And so to fall down and worship the devil would literally be to deny Jesus's own identity um, as a human. He was made to be loved by God and to worship God. To worship anyone else would be denying his own identity. I mean, I get this picture of, you know, these really dramatic movies where someone's looking in the mirror at their reflection and they just punch the mirror and their whole reflection shatters. That's what would have happened to Jesus' identity if he'd bowed down to worship the devil instead of God. And so it really is, again, a attack on his identity, but it's a subtle attack again with multiple different angles because Satan is so um, subversive. It's not just that Jesus would be falling down to worship Satan, but he'd also in effect be worshiping himself because he's trying to take for himself. If he were to do this, all the kingdoms of the world, Jesus would be exalting himself and taking what isn't his. Um, what is God's alone. And so there's multiple different attacks. But again, um, Satan's a liar as well, because one thing that's really interesting is um, Satan doesn't even have the power to give Jesus all the kingdoms of the world. Um, You know, again, those are gods. And Uh, We see it over and over, especially often in the Psalms. It says that God is sovereign over all the kings and all the nations of the world. Those are God's domain and Satan is just trying to trick Jesus and trying to get him to reject his own identity, to lift himself up above God and to try to win a prize that Satan doesn't even have the power to give. So over all over all these we see these common attacks in all three instances satan was trying to get jesus to misperceive jesus's own identity in christ or not in christ he is christ uh, in god Um, and also as part of that this temptation to elevate himself above his right position the It's interesting that the devil never tried to tempt Jesus to make himself smaller than he should be. Um, He always tried to tempt Jesus to make himself bigger than he should be. Provide for yourself. Don't rely on God to provide for you. Um, You know, exalt yourself. Um, Jump down from this temple and uh, prove to everyone who you are. These are all things that would lift Jesus higher than being dependent on god and that's the way that the devil attacks us you know it's it's always pride it's always trying to lift ourselves up higher than where we should be because he knows that that is human nature he was there in the garden when we first sinned and so he knows very deeply what tempts us and he knows that Trying to exalt ourselves instead of God is tempting us. And so fortunately, of course, Jesus is perfect. He is God as well as human. and He didn't give in to those temptations. And he gives us some examples of how he defends against those attacks. He lets us see what our identity is. What is that identity that Jesus was resting in each time? The devil tried to pervert this identity, and Jesus shows us exactly what it is. These are the responses he gave the devil each time he attacked. So when the devil tried to get him to create bread, Jesus said, man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. When the devil tried to get him to leap off of the temple, he said, do not test the Lord your God. And when he tried to get him to worship him, Jesus said, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. What these have in common are, well, they have a lot of things in common. But one thing is, each is a quotation from scripture. Jesus knew very, very well the scripture, obviously. um, Both because he was the word. (laughs) Um, but also, as a human, he had studied the scripture, he had memorized it, that was part of Jewish culture at this time, and he spent his spare time, it even tells us, at the synagogues, talking with the different elders, and, you know, he spent all of his time learning God's word and God's scripture, and so he knew immediately when his identity was attacked, when he was tempted, He knew the truth because he had immersed his entire life in the truth. I think I'm going in and out here. Sorry about that. He had immersed his entire life in the truth, so he knew it well. And he was able to fall back on that truth when the devil attacked. He was able to recognize that the devil was leaving out uh, parts of the scripture. And so... Is that really just how Jesus is, how Jesus defended here? Was it just memorizing scripture and being strong enough to, um, you know, be able to say, like, no, like, um, I remember this piece of scripture, so it applies here. And so um, that must mean that your argument is illogical. Uh, No, what we see is him resting securely in the identity that God had given him. That, that's the whole point. Uh, and it's funny because every time I've ever read this scripture in my life, I've always misunderstood it. I always saw this as, wow, Jesus was so powerful and wise. Jesus defeated the devil. He wielded scripture and just beat the devil. But that's the opposite point of what the scripture is trying to show us. Um, you know, if we go back one slide, it's all about being obedient to God. It's all about relying on God. It's not about your own strength. Like if you study scripture enough, you'll be able to beat the devil. It's about knowing who you are in God, knowing that you are God's child and that you're dependent on him for everything. It's it's about understanding that Jesus knew, as a human, that he could not beat the devil. That's the point of it. He knew that he had to just rely on God. And we see that at the end as well, because once Jesus has three times stayed loyal to God, God sends angels to tend to him. God was going to provide for Jesus. It's all God. It's funny how, in my own pride, I've read this so many times and seen the human hero, because Jesus was fully human again, defeating the devil, and missed that what Jesus was saying was, no, I'm fully dependent on God, God will deliver me from this. And it was all because... He knew who he was in God. He knew he was so dependent on God. And so he rested in that identity. So how can we learn that identity? Jesus shows us one way, which is the word of God. God gave us his scripture to teach us um, to know who he is, to know who we are. Uh, to know that we depend on him for absolutely everything, Um, but he, you know, God has also given us a lot of different ways to learn this, and one thing that especially spoke to me this year uh, is described in Psalm 19. I've spent, you know, my whole life reading the Bible, going to church, being in discipleship, you know, these are all great things, Um, but each of us are different people. And so different things speak to us differently. Um, God knew my heart and he knew that I am more science minded. I tend to view the world scientifically. I tend to um, understand things through that avenue better. And so, because God's so generous, this past year as I was going through this wilderness and learning to not do it by my own effort, God showed me through his creation a little piece of his identity, uh, a little piece of the scale of who he is and the scale of how small we are. Um, you know, Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the expanse proclaims the work of his hands. You know, the, the creation that he has made is a reflection of him. It's a, just a tiny little shadow of his glory. Um, he's so much greater, but we can see him in it. And so that's the way that God showed me through, I started reading um, about Um, astrophysics, and um, the scale of the universe, and it absolutely blew my mind. Um, So I actually have a little video that I want to show you of the scale of creation. And I will get out of the way. So we're zooming out here from Earth, and we're just going to keep zooming out, and we're going to see just how impressive is God's creation. Already, I mean, that's almost incomprehensible how tiny we are. You, But we're going to keep going. And there goes the moon. And soon we're going to pass the sun. There's the sun. But we're not going to stop there. We're just going to keep going. You can see all these different stars. Every single one of these stars is orbited by planets like our own. Millions and millions, these are stars going past, all of them orbited by planets, more and more and more. And it just keeps going. And just when you think, oh, okay, it looks like we're getting to the end, there's a galaxy, the Milky Way. Now, all of the dots that you see, those aren't stars anymore, those are galaxies. All the millions of stars that we saw before, in each of those little tiny pinpricks, all of those galaxies full of millions of stars, and it just keeps going and going and going until it is literally incomprehensible. That's (laughs) and if we go to the next slide, that's not even all of it. Because uh, it's a little hard to see in this light. But essentially, that little circle there is what we know of the universe. And the entire projector slide is an estimate of how big we think the universe is. Because light, it doesn't travel instantaneously, it has a certain speed. Um, It's so fast, it seems instant to us. Um, I forget, I think it's like 127,000 meters per second or something. It's ridiculous. But it still takes it time to travel. And so if we look back, to the moment of creation when God said, let there be light. Light started traveling out from all these different stars and started making its way through the universe. And it's been traveling ever since then and still has not reached our eyes because these things are so far away, the universe is so big. So this circle is the limit of where light that started moving at the moment of creation has had enough time to come and reach our eyes. And anything outside that circle, it's physically impossible for us to ever see it because it's so far away that that light literally has not traveled since the moment of creation to our eyes yet. And we, I mean, this size outside of that circle, that's just an estimate based on a pure guess. We have no idea how big the universe is because we can never see it. And this is the scale of God's creation. I mean, the creator has to be greater than his creation. So if, if this seemingly infinite universe, it's so big that we literally can't even see it. How great is God and how tiny are we? I mean, <laughs> we're ants in a sea of infinite galaxies and stars. And somehow we think that we are the center of this universe. Somehow we think that what we want is more important than what the one who created this wants, or that we know better for our lives than he does. Because, I mean, the great thing is that we have such a good God. It's, it's not like a, he's just selfish and he's like, I want what I want. He knows what's best for each one of us because he created and holds together that entire universe. He knows what is best for us, and he is working to bring that to us, even when it doesn't line up with our own desires. And if we look at who Jesus is, we see in John chapter 1, something that absolutely also blew my mind the first time that God showed it to me in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and we know from scripture that the word is Jesus is talking about Jesus here he was with God in the beginning all things were created through him and apart from him not one thing was created that has been created he was in the world and the world was created through him, and yet the world did not recognize him. As I said, Jesus, fully human, also fully God. In fact, he is the one of the Trinity that was the agent of creation. All these universes, or all these galaxies, more than we can count or even understand, Jesus created them, and Jesus holds them together. Not one thing has been created apart from Jesus. And Jesus chose to come down to earth to fast 40 days in the wilderness, to hum- be humiliated, to be rejected, to be crucified. When he had this enormous creation like, that he had made, That's incredible. And in all of that, he was perfectly solid in his human identity as a child of God, as obedient to God, and knowing that God knew better for his life and that he had to just follow God and worship God and be loved and provided for by God. I mean, we struggle with that as human beings. Jesus had to have such incredible temptation. I mean, he knew he created the entire universe to to be subservient to God and say, okay, if you said, let's not create Hawaiian rolls, I'm not going to do it. Um, But he completely had that power. It gives a whole new perspective to these verses and to how humble Jesus was. And so um, let's skip the next video, John, unless you already showed it, which is also fine. (laughs) Um, I mean, one thing that the the universe really speaks to me is in Isaiah 6. And um, thank you to my wife who actually reminded me of, of this verse. Uh, and Isaiah there says in the year that King Isaiah died I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne and the hem of his robe filled the temple just the hem of God's robe filled an entire temple That it's it's showing how God's glory is uncontainable God is so big and so glorious that even just the little hem on the end of his robe completely fills the temple. And when I read that, I think of that picture of the little circle and the universe and how little we are and how infinite God is. His creation is infinite, seemingly, and he himself is definitely infinite. And Isaiah, on seeing God's glory here, just the hymn of it, just the very edge of it, He he cries out, woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips and live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of armies. This is the scale of God's glory that Jesus understood when he was in the wilderness. Just looking at the hem of his robe, made Isaiah cry out, woe is me, for I am ruined. I'm so filthy and undeserving because of my sin. And the beautiful thing is, in the very next verse, God purifies Isaiah. He presses coal to his lips and says, all of the filth has been taken from you. That's what Jesus did for us. He came and he lived this perfect life. He came and he starved in the wilderness stayed solid in his identity, stayed solid in worshiping God, giving the glory to God, being obedient to God, and trusting that God had the best will for his life. He did all of that for us. He already had all of creation. (laughs) I mean, you look at that universe and its beauty, and you're like, why us? You can't even see us. We're so tiny. You can't even see earth very quickly on in that video. We are so insignificant to the scale of what Jesus created and holds together every moment. And he still wanted us, wanted each of you so much, that he chose to come to this planet, earth, again to defeat sin he lived a perfect life was punished as though he were the worst of sinners to take that sin punishment for you so that you didn't have to suffer he could have been so happy with the rest of this universe and yet he loved you and that's our identity that's what jesus understood our identity is to be loved by an infinite God, to give worship to an infinitely glorious God who had everything but still wanted us. And that's what Jesus rested in every time the devil tried to lead him astray. Jesus said, no, I am loved by an infinitely glorious God and I will serve and worship him So Jesus knew his identity. Where do you get your identity? Is your identity to be loved by God? Is your identity to obey God, bring glory to God, worship God? Is your identity providing for yourself, worrying about money or status or anything at all? Or do you recognize that What God showed me this year, that you are less than an ant in a massive universe, and that it's honestly comical to think that you can do anything for yourself. Our human pride bristles at that, but that's what the Bible says over and over. It says that God provides everything for us, and that our job is just to go along with God. And it's so much better that way. I can tell you from the moment that God first showed me this, I I stopped striving and I started just resting in God and trusting him and just focusing on worshiping him and spending time with him, not trying so hard to do everything myself and realizing that it wasn't working. And so if you're already follower of Christ do you have that proper view of your identity and God's identity and if you're here today and you don't know Christ you know do you want to have that relationship with this God who created an infinite universe and yet loves you and desires you he wants to have a personal relationship with you that's why he died That's why he created you. That is your identity. You were created to be loved by him and to worship him and love him. And so if you want to enter into that relationship today, if your heart's crying out for it, please uh, find me or Tyler or Corey or anybody um, and just say, please show me how to have this relationship with the infinite God who loves me. Corey is going to come up and lead us in communion, and um, while he makes his way up here, I just I'd love to pray. Lord, we thank you so much. We praise you. We're absolutely humbled by how great you are, how incredible you are, and yet you deigned to come and be the lowest of lows for us. We're so thankful, Lord. We're thankful for what you've showed us today. Um, Please help it to transform how we view you. Um, Please help it to transform how I view you. We praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us this week. We hope you were encouraged by the message. At I.D. Clifton, we exist to love God, love others, and make disciples. To learn more about I.D. Clifton, including our gathering times, small groups, and events, please visit us at idclifton.com. We'll see you next time.